It is the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary. Thank you for downloading. I'm Peter Klein. You probably know that by now. Coming up on the show today, I won't be fooled again by the Calgary Flames. And it's a little bit of fool's gold in the NFL draft as we get ready for what is going to be a very exciting weekend in the NFL. If you have any thoughts on the program, we now have an email. It is couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at primetimekline. The music that you heard is from Wasted Talent. You can follow them on Instagram at Wasted Talent, and you can follow their producer at Tommy Fresh Music. A lot of the show on Monday was based around the Calgary Flames. And hey, look at this comeback that the Calgary Flames are on. It seemed like they were dead in the water. They were sellers of the trade deadline with David Riddick heading out of town and Sam Bennett on his way to Sunrise, Florida. And now look at this plucky group of underdogs that Daryl Sutter has helped turn from hockey boys into hockey men as they work their way toward a North Division playoff spot. At the time, they were only four points out. They were taking on a Montreal team that was struggling, and it legitimately seemed like the Calgary Flames had an opportunity to maybe make it into the postseason. And I've been away from talking about this team for a month, and I guess I let my guard down, or I just kind of forgot how things worked with this team. I forgot that when they won those couple of games, uh, those games didn't really mean anything. A lot of the pressure was off. And then the second that the pressure was on a little bit, they come out with just an absolutely awful attack. Just absolutely nothing going on for the Calgary Flames. And I understand they had the puck a ton in that game, but it's the same thing with this team over and over and over and over again. And I can't believe, I'm actually, one of the reasons why I'm a little bit more fired up about this one today than I normally would be is because I feel stupid for falling for their traps once again. This always happens with this team. They go on a little bit of a run, you start to believe it, and then once the pressure comes up, it absolutely goes away. This was a Flames team that once again, on Monday, had the puck a lot and couldn't generate a whole lot of opportunities with it. And we know what Daryl Sutter hockey is. It, it is low event hockey. We talked about it with Ryan Pike on the podcast on Monday. But when you have the puck as much as the Calgary Flames did, and at five on five, your high danger chances are only five? That is a team that is not getting to the tough areas. And that is a team that is just not taking advantage of the opportunities that have been presented to them. And that has been the case with this Calgary Flames team for so long. And that is the reason why they have underachieved for so long, especially when the games get tighter and the games become a little bit more difficult to manage and teams start to just be able to focus in exclusively on you for four to seven games, more often than not closer to four than it is to seven with this team. That's why it just doesn't work. It's fantastic to have Johnny Gaudreau out there creating, but once teams start to take that away a little bit, there's nothing else going on with this team. I understand that there are some talented hockey players on this team, but this group, it's not working. It hasn't worked for a long time, and I, I just don't see why it would all of a sudden start working now. There are pieces on this team that I, I think you can kind of build around, but... I, I think that this should be the last year with this group. I was of that opinion before, and I thought, well, hey, maybe with Daryl, things have turned around over the last little bit. This is still a team that with their season on the line is five and five in their last 10. So I don't know what, uh, I don't know why I got tricked, to be perfectly honest. I, 
I have seen this movie so many times with this team before that the fact that I fell for it, again, is probably why I'm the most frustrated with this Calgary Flames team after another loss to the Montreal Canadiens. So it's not happening again. Uh, I And look, there, there's still a very real chance this team makes the playoffs. They have four games at the end of the season against the Vancouver Canucks team that clearly already has nothing left in the gas tank. And they still have 10 more road games to go. I don't care that some of them are against the Ottawa Senators. Their last game was against the Ottawa Senators, and there's just nothing left there for Vancouver. So there is still a very real chance that the Calgary Flames make it into the playoffs. But this would be one of those times where I would warn you, just because a team qualified for the playoffs doesn't mean that the talent on the roster equals a playoff team. So that brings up the question, what's next for the Flames? And the only way that I change my mind on this is if you win a round in the playoffs. And the round against Winnipeg, I'm not really counting. It was nice to see that this collection of hockey players could actually play something that resembled playoff hockey for a few games. They did it against the Winnipeg Jets. Regardless of who was injured for the Winnipeg Jets, we at least saw with our eyeballs that they can play playoff hockey against literally anyone. Up until that point, I didn't even believe that. So that was a step in the right direction. But then you play a team with any talent at all, and it didn't go well for them. That's not a shot at Winnipeg. They were banged up. It sucks that that's how that series went, but that's how that series went. The Flames will go into a series, probably against the Toronto Maple Leafs, if they end up making it to the playoffs, and they will get absolutely railroaded. And then you're just back to square one again. You're, you're back to where you have always been with this Calgary Flames team, where you're good enough to maybe get in, but you're not good enough to take any steps or threaten even a little bit. That would be a hot knife through butter series. And the, the main problem with this Flames team for so long is that just get in hasn't necessarily been just kind of a, a thing that gets said. It's almost just been a way of life for the Flames organization. And we could get into a grander discussion about what the 2004 run maybe did to some people within that organization. But the fact is that since that time, and I'm not taking anything away from that, that was an amazing time to be a hockey fan in Western Canada, and I wasn't in Calgary at the time, but I would imagine it was pretty dope to be a hockey fan in the city of Calgary at that time. And that has provided hockey fans of a generation, an entire generation, with memories they will never forget. So I am not in any way besmirching the good legacy of that 2004 team. My problem is, that was a lightning in a bottle type of a season. That was a goalie playing out of his mind and your star player turned into the best player on planet Earth for a few months and ended up carrying the team. Uh, there, there was a little bit more to that, but mainly you have Mika Kiprasov and Jerome McGinley dragging this team into that fight. And it ends up working for a long time and depending on what angle you look at a replay at, probably should have won them a Stanley Cup. The issue is that's not going to work all the time. And since that time, the mentality has just been, well, if you just get in, I mean, who knows what can happen? Look what happened in 2004. And there's a reason why what happened in 2004 was so special. One of the reasons is that that kind of shit doesn't happen all the time. You don't always have the, the plucky underdog rise up through the ranks and knock out the hated Vancouver Canucks and then the juggernaut that was the Detroit Red Wings en route to a trip to the Stanley Cup. Also, shout out San Jose Sharks in there. They were just kind of there. But... The reason we get so excited about those and the reason we get so excited about the Cinderella runs in March Madness or the, the reason they make movies about the Oakland A's of the, the 2000s 
taking analytics to, to go up against the Goliaths of Major League Baseball and ride that wave to the playoffs. The reason we get so excited about those is they don't happen all the time. And the issue with the Flames is that instead of viewing that as an outlier, it's been viewed at like a strategical map. And that is no way to run an organization. It is absolutely fine to have aspirations of getting to the postseason every year, but for the Flames, it seems like that's where it stops. There has constantly felt like you are striving for sixth in the Western Conference with this Flames team. And for half a year, they look like world beaters and it got them first in a division. And then aside from that, over the last basically 20 years, it's been nothing for this group. I think there needs to be an absolute restart. I think that you can appreciate the hockey stylings of Johnny Gaudreau and you can very much appreciate the leadership that has been provided by Mark Giordano, but I think you can also appreciate that now it is time to move on. I think the Calgary Flames need to have an off-season of change and finally, it's not about blaming the coach. And I I I think the Flames are going to be one of the most interesting teams this offseason, as this year is looking like basically every other year for most of my lifetime, with the exception of one magical run, at some point you have to try something different. They've tried different a number of times with coaches, now you got a real one in there, and it still isn't fitting. I think it is now very much time that the Calgary Flames move on from this core and try to work something else out. Uh, I think this has to be an off-season of building for the Flames. I'm not saying that you you have to completely tear down to the studs. I, I think there are, pe like, I, I'm not trading Elias Lindholm. I'm not trading Andrew Manchapani or Dylan Dubé or, or Matthew Kachuk. I think you have to look at 13 and 23. I don't know what market is out there for a Mark Giordano, but I, I do think that if next year is a slight step back to try to take a few steps forward, you have to do that because for too long, this team has just been walking in place on a treadmill. Music for Couch Potato Diary provided by Wasted Talent. Catch them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. Also, their producer is at Tommy Fresh Music on Instagram. All right, the big thing in the world of sports this week is the NFL draft. And for the second year in a row, we are going into a draft like no other. And the other day, kind of hit on a couple of the main talking points going into this draft. And this one is a wild one. We kind of know where the first two picks are going. Trevor Lawrence is going one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it is going to be Zach Wilson probably going to the New York Jets at number two. Where the intrigue starts is at number three. We talked about it a little bit where I, I am not seeing it with Mac Jones. It sounds like Trey Lance is coming on strong here at the end as potential factor for the San Francisco 49ers. And then the draft really does start at fourth overall. Uh, you could say it starts at three probably with where San Francisco goes. I'd be interested if the 49ers do go Mac Jones, what does Atlanta do with the Trey Lance, there's a lot of talk that quarterbacks could go with the top four picks. It's certainly, you're going to have top three. And then Atlanta has a decision to make. And this is one where I, I really have been going back and forth on it. And today, going to focus on some of the most interesting teams and the most interesting prospects in the draft process. And I think Atlanta is certainly one of them. Because on one hand, as an organization, Opportunities to pick in the top five don't come around that often. At least you hope 
they don't come around that often. And if they do come around that often, you're probably dog shit and it doesn't matter anyway. But if you are in this opportunity, this feels like the absolute prime time to draft a quarterback if you are Atlanta. You still have some pretty good weapons there. There's been talks that Julio Jones could become available, but you still have Calvin Ridley. I understand the draw of bringing in uh, a talent at the level of uh, a Kyle Pitts who everyone is absolutely enamored by, and I I certainly would be one of them. This is a kid who 100% looks like he could be an absolute sure thing. I love it. The the Ringers uh, draft big board, I guess, with Danny Kelly, who did some amazing work. Um, they have some comparisons on there. And <laughs> Kyle Pitts' comparison is to Michael Phelps. So you're talking about a special athlete in this case. If Atlanta wants to go for that and just do it and just understand, we only have a couple years left with Matt Ryan and with Julio Jones. Let's try to make another run at this. You can't fault them. Kyle Pitts could be an excellent player for the Atlanta Falcons for the next decade, and if you are taking that at the number four spot, you will absolutely take that. But this could probably be one of your only chances to kind of continue this run on for the Atlanta Falcons at the quarterback position. Matt Ryan has given them reliable quarterback play for 13 years now? Question mark? For a long time. Anyway, you can, not many teams can just flow right from one into another. Atlanta has the opportunity to to do that, whether it's with Trey Lance. I think Justin Fields is a perfect fit. I said before that Justin Fields is someone who probably would benefit from that red shirt year. And just a quick side note on that, because that is my argument for having Justin Fields there. And for a couple of these quarterbacks in a, a couple of these spots, the problem is that doesn't work as much as people think it works. And it, I mean, to be perfectly honest, it doesn't happen as often as it probably needs to for it to work more often. Just that's how numbers work. But before Patrick Mahomes a couple of years ago, the example was Aaron Rodgers. And we're at a point where Green Bay is drafting Aaron Rodgers' replacement. So Aaron Rodgers has been around for a little bit. There's a reason why that was the one that everyone was bringing up until a couple of years ago. And it's still being brought up now in a, well, let me look at Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. It's because those are the only two examples. Teams suck at doing this. And just like go through. How many times has a quarterback actually redshirted for a couple of years and then come out and been great? If they're not starting right away, like teams will give these guys every opportunity to just be the guy. There isn't a great track record of just quarterback development in the National Football League. That's why people are out on, on Sam Darnold, because we just don't see a lot of guys take those kind of steps, regardless of the, the situation that they are in. I still think that situation was unwinnable, and I still think there could be some progression made, but it's the reason why people got so excited about the steps that Josh Allen took. It really is, if you're not absolute blowaway great in the first couple of years, it doesn't usually work out. Alex Smith is a bit of an outlier in that spot. It took him a while to get going. Peyton Manning has the bad year to start his career. But again, I'm going back to 1998. So when I talk about redshirting some of these guys, I do it with the understanding that some of these teams, quite frankly, I mean, look, they they are all smart football people. They're all smarter football people than me. 100%, I will totally admit that. I should not be the bar for these smart football people. But 
I, I understand that a lot of these people in organizations have forgot more about football than I will ever know. But the fact remains, they suck at some of this stuff. And developing quarterbacks is one of them. But I think Justin Fields could be one of those special cases. You need to be Matt, you would need Matt Ryan to be an adult about things and be able to shepherd him along, unlike what Ben Roethlisberger said a couple of years ago. And I do not discount that this is probably one of the big reasons why teams are so bad at this, is that the starting quarterbacks, especially especially that jackass, have gigantic egos and just can't even fathom helping out the organization by developing the next line of quarterbacks and trying to develop their replacement when they clearly don't have it anymore, see Ben Roethlisberger. So you need Matt Ryan to be an adult about that with Justin Fields. And if you can, and if you are able to actually develop Justin Fields, then I think that is an absolute home run pick for the Atlanta Falcons. Cincinnati, I think, is an interesting spot because there are a number of weapons in this draft. And if Kyle Pitts falls to them, that would be so intriguing. And you look at guys like Jamar Chase and you look at Devonta Smith and you look at Jalen Waddell, the, the, some star potential at receiver in this draft. And the, the Cincinnati Bengals with no A.J. Green, he has now moved on to the Arizona Cardinals. I think they have some talented guys there, but I don't think they have a real number one. So it is very tempting to surround Joe Burrow with some actual pass catchers who can really help him out in that situation. However, when you draft a quarterback number one overall and that quarterback goes down with an injury, the league should just put you in auto draft for the first round and force you to take an offensive lineman. And th there is a very good one in this draft with Panay Sewell, the tackle out of Oregon. When you have the opportunity to draft a legitimate number one offensive tackle, specifically left tackle, a guy who it really does feel like he is pro ready right away. When you have that opportunity to do that and your quarterback missed most of the season because of injury, you just have to. I understand the temptation to not. It's not a sexy pick to go offensive lineman, but I think that has to be what Cincinnati does. Miami is in a spot. They have one of the easier picks because I think whichever of Pitts, Chase, or Sewell falls to them, you just go with. I, I do think it would be fun. You could go back to back. Cincinnati taking uh, Chase and Tua getting either Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle to have quarterbacks with receivers who they have some familiarity with. I think that it would be, I, I think that would be a neat storyline. I don't know if it happens in either case. Miami is interesting. I think the way they've handled the last couple of years has been really, really smart. And they have gone from an absolute laughingstock to one of the franchises in this league that I respect so much. And we talk about building winning cultures. Miami has done almost a perfect job of that so far. I think we're going to see a progression from Tua in his second season. And I think getting him a weapon would be interesting. But also getting him a left tackle would be an interesting one. So I, I think the Miami Dolphins are a pretty interesting team to see where they go. But they're kind of in a no-screw-up situation. The Detroit Lions are a team that I think could swing this draft, as I would be stunned if the Lions use the seventh overall pick in this draft. At this point, we've gone through, and unless five quarterbacks go, which I would be, I just, I don't see it, this seems like a spot where a trade-up is going to happen. 
if you are one of the quarterback needy teams, see New England, or it's probably too much for Chicago because they're at 20. It's probably too far back for them to try to move up in this draft and, and get into that spot. But if you're one of those quarterback needy teams behind Detroit, you have to move up into this spot with rumors that Carolina is going for a quarterback, which is just the stupidest damn thing I've heard. But with those rumors, this is prime time for Detroit because right now they're pretty bad everywhere. There, there isn't one spot that you look at Detroit. Probably they don't need to draft a running back, but there isn't really one spot on Detroit where you're like, hey, don't be drafting that position because we got player X there. Detroit just needs talent. Detroit just needs players. They could move back, get an absolute haul, and really start to try to, to to really change some things in an organization that's probably a couple years away. Carolina is talking about quarterback. That I don't know how you trade for Sam Darnold and then make the exact same mistake that the New York Jets make immediately. And we talk about the talent that is available in this draft, whether it be if Penny Sewell falls to this spot and you take a another quarterback, I just don't know. I, 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 you go from making a very smart move by acquiring a Sam Darnold to making a, a really, really not smart move by immediately then trying to just stretch out the rookie contract that much further. Like it just, it makes absolutely no sense to me. If you're going to do that, just stick with Teddy Bridgewater for a couple of seasons like that. That just, that is not a way to manage your team. We talk about quarterback needy teams. The Denver Broncos, I think, are in that spot. They, they should be one of the teams that tries to move up a couple of spots into there. And then you have the Dallas Cowboys who have the easiest damn first round because everything we've talked about so far haven't spoke a lick about defense. Dallas, I think every one of their picks needs to just be focused on the defensive side of the ball. And then after that, it's kind of obvious what a lot of these teams need. Like you, and a lot of it, when you look at it and you go on through, oh, this team needs a pass rusher and an offensive lineman. Oh, this team needs a pass rusher and an offensive lineman. Oh, this team needs a pass rusher and an offensive lineman. And, and so I think how weird this college season was combined with the fact that a lot of these teams have the same needs. I think there's going to be a lot of moving around in this draft. I think it's going to be really fun to see how this all shakes out. In terms of other teams that have kind of caught my attention, the Philadelphia Eagles, it feels like a waste to go wide receiver back-to-back -back years, but I think they desperately need to go wide receiver. Jalen Rager wasn't it last year. That doesn't mean he can't be. It just means he's not. And when you have a wide receiver class as talented as this one, I think that is absolutely a spot that they will be looking at addressing. Uh, another team that's, uh, I think, noteworthy in this draft, uh, the Washington football team. They get a surprise quarterback performance with Heineke in the playoffs. They sign him, but I don't think they think he's the quarterback of the future. Again, it's probably too far back to move up, but what does Washington do at the quarterback spot? Same thing with Chicago, again, too far back for them to move up. And another team that kind of has my attention right now, the Baltimore Ravens. This is a team that clearly needs to take another step in the AFC North and clearly does not have the passing attack to be able to do that right now. However, with the style of play that they currently implement, is it a waste to take one of the good receivers in this draft? And there'll still probably be some good receivers at the back end of this first round for Baltimore to take. But I, I just, I look at this Ravens team as a franchise that is very much committed to one style of football, 
but doesn't necessarily have all the pieces to be able to break through with a winning style of football. So Baltimore is another one that very much has my attention in this draft. But I think a lot of the intrigue really does come with all of the moving parts in the top end of this draft. And a lot of it, as always, is going to be surrounding the quarterback position. And this feels like one of those drafts that in five or 10 years, we're going to go look back at the Wikipedia page of the draft and really wonder what were some of these teams thinking? Like, I think there could genuinely be a Fabian Washington selected ahead of Aaron Rodgers type of a moment in this draft where you just look at, okay, I understand, like, at the time, maybe it makes some sense because that's a need, but, I mean, there's some really talented people that you're just letting go, and I think that you are going to see some very talented people probably fall to some pretty good teams already. And this does kind of feel like while some of the lesser teams beat themselves over the head to try to get quarterbacks to square peg into round hole, a quarterback where maybe that grade isn't necessarily deserving, or maybe that player isn't necessarily deserving of the spot they're being taken, you're going to see some better teams, I think, benefit from that. It's going to be a really interesting draft. The quarterback position and the drafting of the quarterback position has just got way too out of hand, in my opinion. I understand it's an important position, but teams have now started to, instead of developing quarterbacks, we're just going to draft like a hundred of them. And one of them is probably going to work out, and then we'll figure out the rest of our team later. That hasn't worked for the New York Jets, and they're trying it for a second time. I don't know why these other teams think that they're going to be the ones that perfect it. As far as draft coverage here is concerned, Thursday after the first round of the draft, going to be on Twitch. Haven't decided which game I'm going to play yet. Want it to be football-centric, but the football games for the N64 kind of suck, and I don't want to move a bunch of stuff around and hook the GameCube up. And if I do the PlayStation thing, then I'm not on a webcam, and none of you care about this stuff. I'm just talking it all out right now. But either way, we'll be on Twitch after the NFL Draft's first round concludes with some analysis on that. Probably put it up as a podcast um, that evening. Also, scheduling note Friday, we got the the more combat sports-focused episode here of Couch Potato Diary. That's going to be the, the schedule moving forward. I think I said something different earlier, but in kind of assessing things, it, it just when you go through the schedule and, okay, well, this week there's a big thing, and, well, this week there's a big thing, it just made more sense to just have every week be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, with the last show of the week being more combat sports-focused. So that's what it's going to be coming up on Friday is a bit more focused on the UFC. It's been a busy week in pro wrestling. That's going to be an evergreen statement. So we'll focus on a lot of that. I do want to close the show today with one of the biggest stories from yesterday. And that was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going absolutely bonkers against the Washington Nationals. Three home runs, seven RBIs. And it does really feel like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has arrived. And for a lot of Blue Jays fans, it's about damn time you got to understand the kid is very young. And I think that this is another one of those cautionary tales when it comes to the rest of this Blue Jays team. There are expectations for Toronto to compete this season. Expectations they have brought upon themselves. You don't go out and make the biggest splash in free agency, come in second on like nine others, and then just be like, well, we're developing. No, this is a Blue Jays team that has eyes on the postseason and much more than just a, hey, look at that. We made it to the playoffs and got our asses kicked twice and now we're out of the playoffs. This is a team that wants to be there every year and this is a team that wants to contend for a championship. So it gets very frustrating when you see the errors that Kevin Biggio is making and some of the mistakes that Bo Bichette is making. But one of the things... I 
think is easy to forget that while it is important for this Blue Jays team to take another step and compete, the development of these young players is equally as important. And I think to just run away from Kevin Biggio at third base and to just go away from Bo Bichette at shortstop because it's not working in the first 20 games of this season would be a giant mistake. And th this isn't even to say that Kevin Biggio is going to be an everyday third baseman for the rest of his career. And this isn't to say that I think Bo Bichette is going to be an everyday shortstop for the rest of his career. But I think the f at the first sign of something going wrong, to just panic and switch up what was your entire plan for the season before your main free agent signing even plays a game, I think is a gigantic mistake and one that is just absolutely a rush because you're panicking because you fancy yourself a contender. This is a very long season and this is a very long development plan for the Blue Jays. The good news for Toronto is that they're hanging around in the playoff race early on. They haven't been able to hit a lick and the fielding's been atrocious aside from a couple of great moments. I don't think either, quite frankly, I don't think any of what's going on in Toronto continues. I don't think they're going to pitch as well as they've been pitching. I don't think they're going to hit as poorly as they've been hitting. And I don't think they're going to field as poorly as they've been fielding. I think you have to let Biggio and Bichette work their way through some of these things. Too often in sports now, when something is going wrong with a young player, it's just, ah, change it right away. Look at the Calgary Flames with, with Sam Bennett. The second something went wrong with Sam Bennett, and this isn't even a defense of Sam Bennett. I, I, yeah. I, I think that there is a bit of waste of talent there. But um, the, the second anything went wrong with Sam Bennett, you just change things. And you never get into a flow and you never get into a rhythm. And also, it's okay for young players to work through shit. Like, you are allowed to have some adversity and work through it and come out of it on the other side. That might even, maybe, heaven forbid, make you a better player for it. So I, I think for the Blue Jays, you have to take some of your lumps at shortstop. You have to take some of your lumps at third base. Just understanding that this is... While an important year for competition, it's also an important year for development for these guys. If it's not working by around the All-Star break or even by the trade deadline, then maybe you make some changes, for sure. We saw that with Toronto back in 2015. Bit of a different scenario because Jose Reyes, uh, turns out awful human being as he was, doesn't fit what Bo Bichette is in that he's a young developing player, but it was obvious that Jose Reyes' defense was actively hurting the Blue Jays. They go out and acquire Troy Tulowitzki, and hey, look at that, the Blue Jays all of a sudden, with just average fielding at shortstop, turn into a contender. Side note, that's why I look at that Troy Tulowitzki trade fondly. The bat never worked out as well in Toronto as it did in other stops, but the defense that he provided was enough to make that trade a win, and was enough to help to get the Blue Jays into a playoff spot. I digress. If it is not working at the trade deadline, if it's not working by the All-Star break, you can make the changes that you want to and try to make some shifts. But Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette were working all offseason on these things. All throughout spring training, this was the game plan. To throw that out after not even a month seems like a bit of a rush to me. And uh, I think that the Blue Jays are going to benefit from letting these kids work their way through it. And I think that this is still a Toronto team that is destined for the postseason as we get ready for George Springer to make his Blue Jays debut. Sounds like that is coming up tonight. That's going to do it for this episode of Couch Potato Diary. Again, wherever possible, rate, review, and subscribe. It's been really, really cool to see the reviews coming in so far. We'd like to see those continue. If you have any thoughts on the show, you can reach me on Twitter at PrimetimeKlein. 
on Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKlein as well. Twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. If you want to email the show, it is CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. Also, we had no idea. My general history podcast with my wife out today. This week, we talk about nuclear meltdowns. You can catch that out at We Had No Idea, wherever podcasts are available. I'll be back Friday, chatting fights, real and staged, as... The world of combat sports and the world of sports never slows down. Having a lot of fun talking about it with you right here on Couch Potato Diary. We're out.